First of all, I got a email from Sanghyang. Um, for those that you don't know, this is a Korean couple that was here for, I guess, about five years. He was working on his PhD at NC State, and um, while he was here, his daughter was born, and so they've all they've been gone back to Korea now uh, for what since 2016 or something? Yeah, seven years. Yeah, and we just got a, a information that they were coming back for a year sabbatical here. And um, I got a letter, I got a note from Sang-Ung. He says, hello, how are you, Greg? I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that I will be going to NCSU for a year of sabbatical in early 2020 or 2024, January or February. He says, laugh out loud. For bad news, Esther and Suki are also going to come to two. He says, you have to play with Esther, so take care of your health. We miss you. Yeah. So I, you know, being a, a sound mind, semi, semi-sound mind, I sent her, I sent him a note. I just said, Sanghyun, thanks for the good news and the bad news. It'll be really good to see you again after so long. As for the bad news, at least you've given me enough notice so that I can sell my house and move somewhere else where Suki and Esther can't find me. <laughs> They've always been so much trouble. In fact, they're the reason that most of my hair's fallen out. I thought that was me, Dad. Well, you took care of what was left. Yeah. Thankfully, though, I'm looking really looking forward to your arrival. Just don't bring me any kimchi. Love you all. Let me know when you have a firm arrival time. So that's exciting news. Really love great couple. Um, and Esther used to run through my house, running up one step and down the other and telling me I couldn't catch her. And she's delightful. Of course, now she's seven years old or so. We shall see. She's taller than the Suki. Yeah, I saw that picture. Let's pray. Lord, it's your word and... We just are so desirous to be filled with it, that we might know you more, that we might be constantly aware of your presence and do those things which honor you. Lord, just help us to to be the people you want us to be. It's our desire, Lord, to grow in you and not to be stagnant. So we just look to you, and in Jesus' name, we ask you to to guide us now as we look at your word, to just open our understanding to your glory. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the uh, <coughs> the letter to the first church in Revelation, the second chapter. And we read in the first seven verses that um, Ephesus was the first church to receive the letter from John, who was exiled on the island or the rock island of Patmos. And actually, the letter was from the Lord to John to send to the churches. And Ephesus had been commended in this letter for their works, for their perseverance, and for their resistance 
to and the exposure of those who were liars. They were called, or excuse me, they were also praised for hating the work of the Nicolaitans, who were a, a heretical cult that was in existence at the time. But none of these positive and praiseworthy traits were enough to save them from the harsh rebuke of the Lord. They had left their first love. And the fervor of the Lord had cooled. And when that happens, your witness for the Lord cools too. Jesus was important, but he was not supremely important. The Lord told them, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent. And do the works that you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. That's the word to those that don't repent. To those who do repent, he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what does it mean to remove the lampstand? He told us that the lampstand was were, represented the church. So if he removes the lampstand, you cease to be a church. You may still have a building, and you may still have people, but Jesus is not there. He's left. He says, I'll remove the lampstand. My presence is not going to be there. And sad to say, we've got a lot of churches where you wonder if the lampstand has been removed or not. Because the word that you hear has very little to do with Scripture and more to do with um, the ways of the world and the things of the world and how to get along with the world. And now we're going to look at the second church. And the second church is the church of Smyrna. And they were on this um, circular postal route. And it was one of two churches in which the Lord had no rebuke, nothing negative to say to them. And if the first mark of a true church is love, the second mark is suffering. A subject we all want to hear more about, I know. But a willingness to suffer proves the genuineness of love. The church of Smyrna was a suffering church, and this letter speaks to their past and their present afflictions and a warning of a severe trial to come. Suffering is never easy, which is an easy thing to say, and when it gets here, we don't do very well a lot of times. The Lord himself tells us in Hebrews twelve eleven that all chastening discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me just read for a second something that it's always challenging 
to read the Puritans. And this is something that in Matthew Henry's commentary that he wrote on leaving your first love. They must compare their present with their former state and consider how much peace, strength, purity, and pleasure they have lost by leaving their first love. How much better they could bear afflictions and how much more they could enjoy the favors of providence. How much easier the thoughts of death. How much stronger their desires and hopes of heaven. They must repent. They must be grieved and ashamed for their sinful declining and humbly confess it in the sight of God. They must endeavor to receive and to recover their first zeal, tenderness, and seriousness, and must pray as earnestly and watch as diligently as when they first set out in the ways of God. This good advice is urged by a severe threatening. If neglected, he would deprive them of all the light of the gospel and the advantage of its ordinances. If the presence of Christ's peace peace and spirit is slighted, we may expect the presence of his displeasure. In conclusion, we have an emphatical call to attention. We cannot employ our hearing better than in hearkening to the word of God, and they who will not hear the call of God now will wish they had never had the power of hearing. That's pretty somber. Leaving your first love. And now he's talking about suffering in the second section. All of the churches faced persecution, yet Smyrna faced the heaviest trials. Why? Smyrna had supported Rome long before Rome became a world power. And almost 200 years before Christ, they had built a temple to the goddess of Rome. A few years after the death of the Lord, many Asian cities were competing for the privilege of erecting a temple to the emperor Tiberius. And Smyrna won that honor. It was known as a center of emperor worship and as such, it demanded burning incense to the emperor and confessing him before a crowd. The pressure on Christians was intense. There are only four verses to that. So let's look at what the scriptures say about it. This is verses 8 through 11, in the second chapter of Revelation. To the church in Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Paradox is contrasted throughout this letter to Smyrna. The Christians are poor, yet they are rich. And I find it, found it interesting that they had two words for poor. One of them was, you know, you're really not doing well at all. And the other one means you've got nothing. And that's that second word is what's used here. It's not that they were just a little poor or a little destitute. They had nothing. But they're rich. And those that are, that oppose the church, the Christians in the church at Smyrna, claim to be Jews. But scripture says they're a synagogue of Satan. The overcomer who's faithful even to death is promised a crown of life and safety from the second death, eternal death. This promise is secured by the one who is Israel's eternal refuge, the first and the last, and also is the suffering Savior who is dead and has come to life. Suffering and faithfulness are fitting terms for the church that lives in a city like Smyrna. It's the shortest of the seven letters, and it's been called the postcard to those who are in pain. Mm -hmm. Notice that the Lord says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Later on, the church in Laodicea said that they were rich, but the Lord says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And the Lord said to the Laodicea, you get the idea. <laughs> Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It seems safe to assume that poverty that the poverty the church in Smyrna suffered was not due strictly to economic conditions, but a confiscation of property, looting by hostile mobs, and the difficulty of learning, of earning, a living in a very hostile environment. Christianity was not legally permitted, which made it easy for the Jews and the pagans to take actions against believers. You know, for a while, uh, Christianity was considered a subsection of Judaism, and therefore Rome left them alone. But as that ceased to be the case, where the Jews were more and more antagonistic against the Christians, Rome decided that uh, this was a new religion, and they had no tolerance for new religion at all. In Hebrews 10, 
because it is a Hebrews 10. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 32-35 says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So the encouragement for the suffering that they already had and what was coming it was even worse. It's interesting to note that the city of Smyrna received this name from one of the chief products that it exported. It was the port of myrrh. And myrrh was used to embalm, embalm, the, embalm the bodies of the dead. Remember that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus and bound it or wrapped it in linens and used myrrh and aloes in the body, <coughs> which was typical of the embalming that the Jews used. Recall that the wise men brought gifts to the young child Jesus, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh because he was to receive death at the hands of men before he was going to leave this world. When he comes again, they will bring him gold and frankincense, but no myrrh. That's what Isaiah 60 tells us. Isaiah 60 and verses 1 through 6. Say this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you, your sons shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and exalt, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. No myrrh. Not the second time. <laughs> <laughs>
The afflictions that the church in Smyrna was going through were instigated by slanderous accusations by by those that uh, said they were Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Though they were descended by the in the flesh or through the flesh from the fathers of Israel, their actions show that they are not God's people but Satan's synagogue. God shows covenant faithfulness to families throughout the generations, but in the last analysis, the people or God are defined through Christ, not through genealogy. The issue is not birth from the flesh, but birth from the spirit. Just as circumcision that mark is the circumcision that marks God's people is not a fleshly surgery, but a cleansing of the heart by the Spirit. Gentiles, once not a people, have been called to become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Out of First Peter. Although the apostles often were welcomed initially by the Jewish communities of the dispersion, in one city after another, the message of a crucified Messiah and his welcoming of pagans apart from being circumcised caused them to expel the Christians from the synagogue. There's an important distinction between outward and inward Judaism, just like there's an important distinction between outward and inward Christianity or Christians. These were not Jews because inwardly they've rejected Jesus as their Messiah, and they confirmed their rejection by persecuting the church. The Christians in Smyrna were experiencing poverty and blasphemy from the false Jews, who were spreading false rumors about them again and again, but there was more and worse that was coming. Jesus said, and again, verse 10, to repeat what we just read. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You're about to be tested. I'm giving you warning. Here it comes. And over and over again in Scripture, Jesus, or an angel that he sends, tells us to fear not, or don't be afraid. And here the Christians in Smyrna are told not, are told not to be afraid of what they're about to suffer. Suffering is certain. Some of them are going to be thrown into prison. And this is the work of the devil, but God, of course, is supreme. Their imprisonment will be to test you. It's going to be brief, 
but it's going to be intense. And scripture says 10 days. Now, lacking any good reason in the text to view this symbolically, it seems best to to view this as a literal 10 days. This prediction of coming affliction by Jesus closes with the call to be faithful unto death. The the relief that he promises after the 10 days may not be freedom from prison, but it may in reality be the supreme victory, the crown of life. It's going to be by martyrdom, which happened to a lot of them. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. One of the best-known Christian martyrs was a native of Smyrna. His name was Polycarp, and he was a disciple of John. He became, according to many of the church historians, Bishop of Smyrna. And in the year 156, approximately, Polycarp left the city of Smyrna at the urging of the people of his congregation. And nevertheless, he was tracked down to his hiding place by the authorities. And when they found him, he made no attempt to run away. But instead, he welcomed them and offered them food and drink and only asked them permission for a period of time to pray before they took him and they granted it for two hours. And then when they traveled into the city, the officer in charge urged him to recant. What harm can it do, he asked, to sacrifice to the emperor? Polycarp refused. When they arrived, he was roughly pushed out of the carriage and brought before the proconsul to the amphitheater. And the proconsul said to him, respect your years, swear by the genius of Caesar. And again, swear and I will release you, revile Christ. To which Polycarp replied, for 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then Can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul persisted. Swear by the genius of Caesar. I have wild beasts. If you will not change your mind, I will throw you to them. Call them, Polycarp replied. The proconsul said, since you make light of the beasts, I will have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. Angry Jews and Gentiles then gathered more sticks, wood for the pile, and Polycarp stood by the stake, asking not to be tied to it, and prayed, Lord, Almighty God, the Father of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have come to know you. I thank you for counting me worthy this day and hour 
of sharing the cup of Christ among the number of your martyrs. The fire was lit, but as the wind drove the flames away from him and prolonged his suffering, a soldier put an end to his misery with a sword. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The church of Smyrna faced a period of trial in which some were going to die. But to die under the wrath of man is small when compared with the prospect of suffering the judgment of God. The one who conquers cannot be hurt by the second death. The evil one tempts us in order to destroy. Our Father tests us in order to refine. If we're saved by grace, we're also kept saved by grace. That's the message to the church in Smyrna. Suffering. Look at the church today everywhere. In most every country that you see, apart from the West, you see the kind of suffering that in in many cases, like what Smyrna went through. And when you don't see that suffering, if you look closely, you see the erosion that's taking place between how governments used to visualize Christianity and how what they think of it now. And um, we're called not to leave our first love. And if we leave our first love, if our zeal for the Lord cools, then how in the world would any of us stand when suffering becomes more of a reality physically? I don't think we can. In fact, I'm sure that we can't, or I can't, without the hand of God on me at all times. But if you've got people threatening to take away, if you've got people looting your house, if you have people that uh, the government seems to support instead of rebuking, then we better see where our first love is and and what our stand will be when the difficulties come. Like Smyrna. Jesus, we just, um, we know that we're not able to stand apart from you. We know that it's easy to say something positive and boldly when we don't have to prove it. But we just ask you, Lord, to give us a heart that is solid, that is strong, that truly places you first so that whatever happens, we might honor your name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.